Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which a guest comes on to discuss three movies from one of their favourite directors. I'm your host Andy and today I'm delighted to be joined by podcaster, writer for Girls Magazine and the upcoming Hear a Scream Volume 2 and host of the Horn Bloodfire podcast, Amber T. Hi Amber, how are you doing? Hi Andy, I'm great, thank you. I am boiling hot and melting as you are too and I'm sure most of your <laughs> listeners will be as well. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me, so glad to be here. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, obviously we've had a, a wee bit of, uh, what's the word, uh, reorganising. Yes. Recording because you had you COVID yourself, but then you were in LA. Yeah. How was that? Oh, it was amazing. Um, I had possibly mm. the worst two weeks of my life with covid followed by the best two weeks of my life um la was just blew my mind it was like everything that i thought it would be i was very lucky because i stayed with a friend um in laurel canyon which is obviously like a very affluent very fancy place so i i pretty much got like the best view of LA that you can (laughs) um but yeah I loved it I ate my own body weight in Takis and drank so much Gatorade that I'm like fully addicted to it now and yeah I miss it a lot I don't want to be back (laughs) in Cornwall Mm. Did you say Takis there? Is that the um, tortilla roll-up thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was so funny. Like I, I couldn't stop eating them, and all my like American friends were like, "This is the most flavor you've ever had in your life as an English person." I was like, "Yeah, true, <laughs> true, true." Yeah. We've actually just started getting them in shops round about here. I've had the uh, Fuego. Is it Fuego oh, ones? Oh yes, and... they're the best ones. Uh, and the Blue Heat I just tried recently. <gasps> Which oh just gosh. dye your tongue. Amazing. Well, I haven't seen them down here yet. So I'm asking like Americans to send me care packages. Um, so Americans mm. who are listening, please send me Takis in the mail and Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's in the, um, you know, you get these, I don't know if you get the same down down your way, but up here we've got a lot of the American candy shops. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have a couple of them. Maybe it's, I should look at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Or um, racetracks, racetrack uh, pit stops is like a thing up here as well. Oh. Which has got like tubbies, tubbies, um, uh, slushies and things ah, like that, an ice cream okay, shop, okay. and they're in there. Uh, so I got to that. Hang out at the also got great area. Uh, oh no, not a, not a racetrack. Uh, like the the shop is called racetrack. Oh, I thought you meant like <laughs> like the thing where you go no. round on the car. I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't usually <laughs> no, hang out there, no. but I will if they have tackies there. No. Oh, I yeah, got it. Like, I got it. <clears throat> I'm sure you probably have them, but they got that. And I also got some great uh, TGI Friday's um, buffalo sauce out of there as well. It was Perfect. great. Nice. Um, <laughs> I was in LA, God, it must have been 14 years ago now. Right. It would you, have been roughly. You mentioned that you weren't in love with it? No. Okay. So, so I stayed just off Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, right. Okay. And yeah, I'd heard that that wasn't great, but I'd been. So I'd been traveling. I'd started off in like um, Hong Kong and Thailand, mm-hmm. and then on to Oz, and then New Zealand, right. and then from New Zealand to LA. So, it, apart from the fact it was really strange, the fact that 
I'd got a flight at two o'clock in the afternoon that left Auckland and it got in at two o'clock in the afternoon oh, on the same day what? in LA. <laughs> so I'd, I'd gained a day, which was quite good. Um, no jet lag. But then I went and... No, <laughs> I don't sleep on flights, mm-hmm. so it was awful. Um, but then the night that I we got there, I drank close to my body weight in Jim Beam, <laughs> and then a man got murdered outside my hostel. What the? This is my first experience. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I'm not got... laughing at the, the guy. I'm laughing at, like, how fucked up that is. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, mm. oh, my God, that's so scary. Okay, yeah, no wonder you didn't have a great time there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy quite a lot of the, the kind of experiences of it. Obviously, being on Hollywood Boulevard, you come out and you're right onto the the kind of touristy right. side of it. You're down from the, um, is it the, it's no Madame Tussauds, it's something similar to that. Though, like near the Chinese theatre, uh, like around there. Yeah, yeah. That's very intense, isn't it? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got to, I saw the setup for... The proposal starring Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock that were setting oh, up the red carpet. Oh, okay. Um, but it was the night that I went to actually see Jimmy Kimmel. Oh yeah, 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 who, yeah. Because you can go see him if you get tickets. You can hang out outside, right? Yeah. So you, well, you get um, there's guys just giving out tickets for the show mm-hmm. on the on the street, and they're free. And they offered me it was the because the first time he had ever had the NBA playoff halftime show, oh, and that okay. was his part of it. Uh-huh. And he was like, well, we don't have tickets. So there's two shows. There's Will Ferrell and there's the NBA players. And I was like, mate, I, I know fuck all about <laughs> basketball apart from it ends up really high scoring yeah. and you're looking about and you end up getting a creak in your neck. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, right, just make sure you're there early. Here's a Will Ferrell ticket. And oh, cool. got to see Will Ferrell and oh, nice. Jimmy Kimmel, which was quite cool. Um, and also Six Flags was great because it had a Gotham City area. Oh, and for me, that's brilliant. is that the theme park? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, they've got Six Flags all all over the US. Uh, the closest I got to theme park was Santa Monica Pier. They have a little children's roller coaster, and I went on that, and that was like <laughs> too much for me. I'm not good with rides. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, these were these were full on rides as well. There was like a Riddler ride oh. that you stand up on it, uh, oh, and no, no, you no, go no, upside no, no, down no, no, and all no. sorts. I can't it's, handle that. That's I'm great not, fun. Not for me. <laughs> that's ideal. Um, so yeah, I, I think me and you have quite different LA experiences, but it's still an interesting place to see. I think it definitely is. I would I would say like if you get if anyone gets the chance to go to America, like that's definitely one of the must see places. Um, I would say that, but I haven't actually seen anywhere else in America just there. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I again going off on a bit of a tangent on uh, I went from LA to San Francisco. Oh, cool! Which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard good things about SF, but I've heard that it's like way, way too expensive like even more than LA mm, that is, um, yeah it's, I didn't find it as expensive as New York oh, but okay. I found it certainly um, yeah again doing things on a budget especially near the end I've been away for like eight right. months I was able to kind of find ways around mm-hmm. it um, like going to the baseball and sneaking in a bottle of vodka oh, instead nice. of buying pints for ten dollars <laughs> of shitty beer because <laughs> I mean it's ten yeah it's it's ten dollars to get into the baseball and it's ten dollars for a beer and i just thought no fuck that oh bottle of vodka plastic bottle (laughs) it was was quite handy love that so you're obviously the host of horn blood fire which is uh mainly horror podcast certainly is your main focus um what was it that made you want to kind of start that up um honestly i just had too much to say um i started off writing little captions on instagram um, which is how I like 
uh, got to know people and gained somewhat of a following. And then I realized my mm -hmm. captions were getting longer and I had more and more to say. <laughs> and then I did my first ever podcast guesting on Joel's podcast. Joel, uh, shout out to Joel from West Coast Strange. I went on his podcast and we talked about Raw by Julia DeConnor and I was hooked okay. straight away. I was like, yes, I love this. I love talking to people right. about horror and not many people in my like day-to-day -day real life actually care about horror or at least want to talk about it to the extent that I do. Um, mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's start a podcast. And it's been amazing. We just, I just finished season one not long ago and going to start recording for season two in October. Uh, no, sorry, late summer. And it's just, yeah, mm -hmm. it's just been so much fun. Like, I just love talking with people about the movies and their experiences with horror. And it's like... Part of the reason I got to go to LA as well was because I met someone through Instagram and through podcasting and we became best friends and I went to visit her and yeah, I just have a lot to owe to podcasting. Sorry for gushing about it. <laughs> no, a kind of similar situation to yourself. Um, I was like, I've mainly going around kind of horror and sci-fi. My wife's not a massive horror fan. In fact, I say she's not a massive horror fan. She hates it. <laughs> like, so for, for me to have any kind of outlet talking mm -hmm. horror, like... um. I feel like I blagged a lot of things right at the start, which I tried my best to do. Like I spoke, I managed to get like speaking to like Mike Munzer um, from the Evolution. Oh, Horror nice! Yes, him. yes, yes, amazing. Just by, just by <laughs> somehow. You have to ask. Like a thing that I'm learning, and yeah. I'm still nervous about asking. Like. Uh, like people I would love to talk to I'm too nervous to like approach I mean I love everyone I talk to don't get me wrong but you know there's those people that you really mm -hmm. really would love to have on but if you don't ask you don't get and the worst they can say is yeah. no so yeah totally I, I think yeah. that's a great idea exactly. and even the better thing is if you don't get the rejection it just sits there on red you can still think exactly. maybe they're still thinking they're about thinking it, about it. <laughs> one day one day they're gonna come back to I'm still wait I messaged um I don't know if you have heard of Dragula um it's like a like a RuPaul's Drag Race kind of show, isn't like, but it's horror based. And I messaged one of the queens off there because I was living kind of close oh, to yeah. her in Korea, and she never messaged me back. Okay. I didn't expect her to, but again, if you don't ask, like you don't get. And don't for get. all I know, she's still thinking about it. Is Dracula's on Shudder? It is. Yeah, I, I said it's like yeah, RuPaul, RuPaul's okay. Drag Race. It's not really just the competition mm -hmm. element. Um, is pretty much the only thing mm -hmm. they have in common. But yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that, that. I've got Shudder myself, but I'm not much of a um, any type of reality TV show. Mm -hmm. Even I used to even watch Bake Off, <laughs> and I went off that. So <laughs> like, I'm just done. You know, that was a bit. <laughs> yeah, a wee bit. Slightly different. Yeah. Um, do you say you lived in Korea there? I did. Yeah. Um, I lived cool. in South Korea for four years total. Um, I've also lived in Japan. Vietnam and China for a little bit too um nice. which I'm surprised that you don't know because I never shut up about it and it drives everyone crazy I'm surprised I haven't mentioned it to you <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make it um interesting for podcast content by saying <laughs> oh so you lived in South Korea I mean, I, I, but yeah I, I had seen things <laughs> why I love like Asian cinema Asian horror um mm. so yeah that's which is not the reason I went there but it, it helped yeah, so how was South Korea as an experience? That sounds really oh amazing. I mean, I've I've never been like I've been to, I've been to you said you lived in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I've been to Vietnam and Thailand and um, Hong Kong, but never mainland China. Mm -hmm. But South Korea, just Korea in general. Obviously, there's issues with the kind of the north. Divide, um, yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. I mean, Korea was the first place. Basically, I graduated university and then moved okay. um, to Korea. I had never like left my hometown in England. Um, Cool. So I have a lot of love for it in that it kind of felt like a second home for me for a long time. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing mm -hmm. place. The food's fantastic. The people are lovely. There's so much good stuff to do there. Um, unfortunately, the last time I lived there, I moved there just as COVID hit, like literally the same month. So okay. that kind of changed the experience. But yeah, I still love it. Um, and I'm saving up to go back for a holiday. So yeah, anytime I can get there, I will. Awesome. Yeah. And where did you live in Vietnam? Uh, Ho Chi Minh City. Oh, right, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. I was there. We went um, a kind of like a, a kind of second honeymoon sort oh, of nice. thing. Me and my wife, and we we went to uh, Hoi An. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hanoi, mm -hmm. Hanoi, and Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. yeah. And done the whole Kuchi uh, Kuchi Tunnel. Yeah, Is that yeah, how you yeah. Pronounce I it? never did yeah. that because I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> he actually made me go into the wee one. Oh, where God. you've got it. it the guy was um, he fought for the US side mm -hmm. of the, the war and they made me go inside the tunnel and put the uh, the kind of top down I would and never, I really hope there's no <laughs> No. I mean the, the one thing about Vietnam is that there's not really any dangerous animals because they were all mm -hmm. basically wiped out of the war and the, the Agent Orange, but it was certainly an interesting experience. But oh, that's cool. Living in those places must have been quite Yeah, I mean, quite enlightening, it was amazing. Certainly. Coming back to Cornwall in England was uh, an experience. <laughs> There's nothing here. <laughs> no, I don't know. Mm. So you're also a writer and you write for Girls Mag. Mm. Um, which we've had uh, Zoe on a previous mm -hmm. episode, the, the kind of editor in chief, I think that's yeah, the title. Yeah, she's the she's the um, matriarch. She's the ghoul's mama. Aye, aye. Yeah. She's um she was great. She made me watch Lars von Trier. I, which I was, know, uh, I heard, fun. and she had a great quote, Did and I can't listen? remember it off by heart, but it was like, you know me, Andy. I love a genital mutilation or something. Yeah, and I kind of, it was a long. I long. wanted that tattooed for a while because that is an iconic Zoe quote. <laughs> Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was quite a, quite a thing, especially for me who's not a massive extreme horror Aww. man. Um, and but I, I got some enjoyment out of them. Um, I say enjoyment. I got some uh, intrigue out of them, interest. Yeah, out of them. Lars von Trier is always an experience, if if nothing else. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how's the, the writing been going for girls? Are you enjoying um, it? Is it? I love it. I'm taking a little bit of a break right now because I'm kind of got burnt out and I started to feel uh kind of like I wasn't doing it for the right reasons anymore if that makes sense like I was always okay. worried about like oh where is this going to take me when before I was like I want to do this because I love horror movies and I don't care if it takes me nowhere I just want to do it so I'm I'm taking a break to get um like reinvigorated in the spirit but writing for ghouls is mm -hmm. probably like I would say the best thing that has happened to me like um before Zoe and Rebecca gave me the chance to write for Ghouls, I really didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what, what who to pitch to. And I pitched to them, didn't expect to hear anything back. And they just welcomed me in with open arms. And they're, they're just amazing. The whole gang is so supportive. Mm. And, like, I admire Zoe and Rebecca so much for, you know, creating this space for women and non-binary people in horror to, you know, share what we want to say share what we think and also it's so like ghouls is so not elitist like 
there's mm-hmm. there's no sense like oh th- oh I'm, I'm I'm not a good enough writer. It's like no, everyone has a chance to write. Everyone has a voice. Everyone deserves their writing to be heard. So come on in. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely love that. Um, I'm trying. I'm doing a little bit more book reviews at the moment. I'm trying to like sidle okay. on into that because I'm finding that a bit more inspiring than writing about movies right now. But I am coming back to it in the future because it is my like true love is writing about movies. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of the book reviews, is there anything in particular you're able to talk about? Um, I have a, I don't know when this podcast will be up. On the 24th, by the time the 24th rolls around, I should... 24th of July? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I should right, have cool. an article about um, a novel called You've Lost a Lot of Blood by an author called mm-hmm. Eric LaRocca, who is just fantastic. Um, I, I hadn't really dabbled in horror novels that much, but... His work is just really amazing. He's just got an amazing, like, just the stuff he comes up with. I'm like, how did you think of this? Um, I also just finished reading a book called Manhunt by an author called Gretchen Felker Martin, which was amazing. She's also a fantastic author. It was a real rough ride, that, that book, in a good way. Um, so, yeah, I'm yeah. going to write a little something about that, and that should be out soon. Stuff will surely give that a read. Mm-hmm. I'm quite basic for um, horror uh literature uh stephen king joe hill um joe, there's, there's even loads of authors i've read that I, I couldn't tell you their names just because mm-hmm. i used to read a lot but i don't read this as much now but same and i gotta get back into it <laughs> definitely yeah it's, it's it's quite hard isn't it like just especially if you're doing your podcast mm-hmm. and you've got work as well and you're writing yeah. and then committing yourself to a book is quite a I know. it feels a bit daunting it at times does. and i always think this is a really bad way to think but i always think whenever i'm doing something that's not watching a horror film i'm like well i should really be watching a horror film right now so i can write about it um and that's no way to yeah. live like but yeah and also i i have like no attention span at all so reading a book takes me it used to be really quick but now it takes me longer because i have to stop and look at my phone every three seconds which sucks I have read It by Stephen King like six times. Oh, yeah. So I mean, you can't go wrong with King. Like, King's the man. No. He's like... Aye. And he's just got... So, I mean, he, you could read a King book like every month and not be done for like seven years or something. Um, he's just yeah. amazing. I always remember um, when I first started reading Stephen King, my dad was never a fan of the way he wrote. Doesn't, my dad doesn't like his writing. Mm-hmm. He said, have you got past the bit where he wrote seven pages about how a bit of rain falls down a fucking window? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. I think I've just got to the end of that, but that was a great, that's that was a great chapter. Yeah. I'm also a big yeah. fan of Irvin Welsh, uh, your countryman, who okay. I just finished yeah. Marabou Stork Nightmares, which was a nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, he's great. Um, I was saying to you earlier on about if I talk too quick, then uh, correct me or let me know. Um, I can't read Irvin Welsh because of the dialogue. Oh, really? I really, really See, I can, can't stand I can it. read it. I can understand it. Uh, oh. So you're t- you're talking East and West Coast Scotland okay. here. Oh, like, okay. There is quite a difference. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm, like certain uh, words, I have to take a minute and say it. Um, mm. But oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really struggled with Evan Welsh. Like I've, I have read one of the ones is um, Chuck Palahniuk. I really like his mm-hmm. his novels and things like that. But yeah, Evan Welsh, which I think Chuck Palahniuk felt kind of. Less real world as Irvin Welsh, but in a similar right. tone yeah, totally. in terms of quite uh, brutal and quite yeah. um, vulgar at times in his subject yeah, matter. Yeah, there's some but, gross um, stuff in yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> Irvin, Irvin Welsh was uh, one I always struggled with. Mm. Um, 
You were talking about pitching there, and actually, just today, listened to your episode with Cat. Oh, love Cat! Um, from Thank God It's Friday mm. podcast, um, and you were speaking on that, and then you had a, a moment in it where you said, "This is future." Amber, <laughs> yeah, talking about I have to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, uh, that you'd pitched the cat, and you're getting involved in Hear Us Scream Volume mm. Two, which is. Um, is it essays that are by women and non-binary? Yeah, it's um. So the first volume one I read and I completely fell in love with um because yeah, it's a it's a collection of personal essays from women and non-binary folk in horror who, you know, it can be about a specific film, it can be about a theme, it can be about how horror has made you feel, how it's made you like helped you identify, mm-hmm. um. So, yeah, the minute the call went out for volume two, I knew I had to get involved, and Kat was very kind mm-hmm. enough to accept my pitch. Brilliant. And when is that going to be out? Um, I think we're aiming for an October release, depending on funding and such. I think the timeline is going to be about October, so spooky season. Mm-hmm. Cool. Perfect timing then for yeah. it. So if you get a Halloween stocking, but make sure you oh, add that yes. to it. Yes, good idea. Love That's that. what we need. I love that. <laughs> just stick Why everything is that in... not normal? No. I love that. Just stick everything inside a jack-o'-lantern instead of a Halloween, so or instead good. of a fucking Christmas stocking. Yeah, That's yeah, what you need. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, Kat's, Kat's great. I spoke to her, actually. I think it was um, last year I was on discussing... Oh, I've taken a blank. It was Stephen King. It was Gerald's oh, game. There nice. I go. The deeg loving <laughs> cats podcast. Yeah, yeah. The one part of uh, body horror that isn't in any of these three movies we're going to discuss. <laughs> just, just that. <laughs> oh well, there, there's hand stuff. Yeah, there's lots of hand <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um. So before we go on to your director, um, a couple of things. Just is there a moment in cinema or that that kind of sticks with you that you would always go back to that you can rewatch as often even if it's just the one clip like I go through points where I'll be on YouTube watching certain mm-hmm. certain scenes from movies that is there anything like that that you kind of yeah one thing that comes to mind when you asked me this question I was like oh so many things but one thing that really stuck out to me <laughs> was um the scene from Wreck the Spanish found footage movie and in have you seen it because i don't want to spoil it um it's one of my top two oh fantastic okay um well the (laughs) scene where we first see the medeiros girl in the attic um Mm. and you see her like shuffling and stumbling around the first time i saw that i think i died like genuinely i think my heart stopped (laughs) like i was like what the fuck is that? That's the scariest thing I've ever seen. And just her like stumbling around, like um, the actor who plays her, Javier Botet, I think is his name. He has just the most fantastic body. Um, I think he has a okay. he has a, a growth problem, but it's given him this amazing body that he he was in Mama. He's in, been in so many horror films. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that he moves at the as the Medeiros girl, just like. I lost it. I just lost it. And mm. for months afterwards, I genuinely could not could not sleep in the dark because I just kept thinking about her and her, like, grotesque face and her, like, smashing the hammer into the wall. And, um, <laughs> oh, it just really got to me. Um, the other moment that I constantly bring up, and I'm going to bring it up again because I, I would be not myself if I didn't bring it up, is the moment from <laughs> the uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa movie Pulse, a.k.a. Cairo. 
um, which is okay. one of the best J-horror movies of all time. If you haven't seen it, I recommend just looking on YouTube, Pulse Ghost Walking. And if you have right, seen okay. it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And listeners, you'll know it's the scariest thing in the whole world. If you haven't, go and look at it. That's all I'm going to say. Hmm. Pulse is one that I've never seen, but I know of the kind of premise mm-hmm. of it. Um, but it's kind of like ghosts that don't move on sort of thing. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like, well, from what I've heard, it's not necessarily like massive jump scares and like Ringo style things. Okay. It's more about the kind of sense of creeping dread Definitely. through the whole thing. Yeah. It actually, it mm. relates a lot to some of the points that the director we're going to talk about today. I think Pulse was influenced by him and a couple, especially Videodrome. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a general <laughs> cool. dreadful, oppressive, bleak movie. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I definitely need to check mm-hmm. it out. Another one that you've uh, recently recommended, Incantation. <gasps> I've seen that all over and I've not started it yet. But I just need, it's just on these things. I need, I will get around to it's, it. Um, um, I, I mean, I, I've gone on about it a lot to the point where people are messaging me now with what they think <laughs> of it, which I love and I would love to hear more of. But it's it slid right into my second top of the year and it might push out my first. Um, we'll see. All right, cool. Mm. Any, what's your first? Men. I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, I've still not people seen it. People are really mad about it. it. It's so divisive, mm. but I don't care. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It really moved me and... That's all I can mm-hmm. say about it. Alec Gallen made one of the the best well, sci-fi exactly. movies of the past 10 years with Annihilation. Yep. So he's I'm one of our him. best. I don't think he deserves any of the hate he's getting, um, but that's a topic for another yeah. time. Oh, of course, that's <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> I'll do an offshoot yes. podcast, but it's just talking about Alex Gallen oh, stuff. Yes. There we go. Um, do you have a moment that is maybe your earliest memory of either being in a cinema or... Uh, just it could be watching a movie at home or is there anything that really stands out to you in terms of yeah, that? Yeah, um, the two that I always will always stick in my head is the first one is from The Sixth Sense, um, okay. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, watched that when I was very young and, you know, kind of with, with friends just starting to push into, like, scarier movies. And there's mm-hmm. a scene where Hayley Joel Osment's character, whose name I'm blanking on anyway, he can see ghosts, as we know, um goes into the kitchen and there's a woman stood there and her her wrists are slit and she like screams at him she's like look what you did and that scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. um there's another scene later yeah. where a, um a, a girl i think it's misha barton's character she like um she's in a tent and she's got like vomit all down her face that really got yep. to me as well um and that was like the more slower creepier horror that got to me and then about a similar age, me and my friends got our hands on a bootleg VHS of Evil Dead, and that ruined me for life, <laughs> especially <laughs> the scene where um, the card counting scene where um, I always forget the mm. characters' names. I've seen this film about a thousand times. I never remember their names, but she's like, Ace of Clubs, Ace of Diamonds, like that. That really fucked me up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same with the Evil Dead character names apart from Ash. Unless it's Ash, yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of them, like, I don't care about. (laughs) (laughs) Aye. Um, You're talking about the Sixth Sense there, and that was one of the first times I remember being so disappointed because someone spoiled it for me about three or four hours Ah! before I was about to watch it. Oh, shit, that's horrible. (laughs) So... When would Sixth Sense would have been about 99? Yeah. So I would have come out in video about 2000, so I'd have been 13. And my mum and dad had went to the local, I think it was 
uh, video driving mm. and rented it for me and I told my friends I was like oh I'm going to watch Sixth Sense tonight and some little dickhead told me what a, the oh, whole twist that's was. an important twist yeah. as well like that's that was uh, one yeah. of the really <laughs> modern big twists that we I think we I still feel bad saying it out loud just in case anyone hasn't yeah. seen it this was also the same person who maybe a year or two before had told me the end in the Titanic, oh. to which I did not give a fuck about. <laughs> well, but we all knew how she that was so, Oh, it was so great. I, oh, it's not going to be fucking happy, is it? <laughs> they <laughs> like, all lived. I, I, I mean, she could have got on. Jack could have got on that bit of wood. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, um, on, Yeah. be real, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's always, it's always a bugbear for mm. me because I actually loved the movie. And knowing that the twist was coming and my mum actually went out and had to go at them. <laughs> Good. Oh, fair enough, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Movies are sacred. Movie <laughs> twists are sacred. That's why I'm so worried mm. about Nope coming out now because... Uh, well, do you know, I looked today and I thought that was coming out the same time in the UK, no, it's but it's now till August. Yeah. It's not till August. Yeah, yeah that's shit. Um, we'll go have a quick Jordan Peele detail then. What was your thoughts on Us? Um, I wasn't in love with Us. Get Out is a perfect movie to me. I absolutely love Get Out, yeah. but Us, I th- mm-hmm. I really admired points and I of what it was trying to do. I just think it it didn't stick the landing for me. Um, but mm-hmm. it had Tim Heidecker in it. Um, and Lupita's voice scared the shit out of me. Um, as the mm-hmm. red character, like she was amazing yeah. in it. Um, actually, every actor was amazing in it. I just don't think the story was that strong didn't land yeah mm-hmm. uh, do you know I, I was i remember the hype for it and just the kind of marketing about the red jumpsuits mm-hmm. and things like that and but it gave so much away in the trailers yeah like what get what, what get out didn't do that but us seemed to give away the main kind of maybe not twist mm-hmm. as such but the main bit where the story turns yeah i didn't I and it was <laughs> I, like i really didn't the first time i saw it so i'd heard a few friends had came out and said this was they, they, they came out and said it is shit mm. it's fucking awful like really hated yeah. it so i was a bit apprehensive going in and when i was watching it i was like nah, it's okay yeah. but then i actually i actually bought it on 4k and rewatched it and now okay. it, it, i i actually prefer it to get out really but i love both okay, yeah okay. i I love the comedy in us. Mm-hmm. There's so much comedy in it, like full on comedy, not oh, yeah. just no, maybe it's a wee funny. bit kind of. Like Jordan Peele is really mm. funny. Like there are parts of Get Out where I'm laughing, not not laughing at you know the horrible racism mm-hmm. in, it, in it, but laughing at how absurd like the dad is. Like, oh my god, he just yeah. puts he makes my skin crawl. He's disgusting. But yeah, no, Jordan Peele is really funny, and that's like I think Nope is going to be like a laugh riot, and I really, really don't want it spoiled for yeah. me. I know, I know. I've heard, uh, I've not, I've managed to avoid spoilers. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I know you're not a big MCU fan, <laughs> so I, ch- I, ch- I changed my t-shirt. I did have a Marvel t-shirt on, but now I'm wearing, I'm burst into and I'm wearing a, a, a Grand Theft Slaughter okay, that's t-shirt, which is a lot better. It's got like. <laughs> Jason and Freddy and Ghostface and that. So I knew that. But, right, I'm going to, in terms of the MCU, I saw a spoiler for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness like two mm-hmm. days after it came out. Yeah. And I don't, I, I have to kind of judge having a toddler and things. I need to work out times when we can go to the cinema. Right. And it was fucking annoying. It is annoying. It was a huge it is, spoiler. No, it is so annoying. You know, even though I don't like those movies, I still respect that, you know, you don't spoil movies for people. Like, 
Because for some people, like like for me, I don't have a life outside of going to the movies. I can very rarely go because I live an hour away. Nothing shows near me because I live in Cornwall. So when I do get to go, it's like a real event. And I don't want people spoiling mm-hmm. that for me. Like people spoiled men for me and that like really pissed me off. Really? I've still not seen spoilers for that. But, I'm not um, going to uh, No, I, I've, I've seen something that might be saying a similar to um, society. I'm not going to say anything. That's just the only thing I've heard. I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to spoil it. So, we're going to go on to now talk about your director. Mm -hmm. And your director is David Cronenberg. Who, up until today, uh, not today, sorry, up until you'd suggested him, um, I'd only ever seen one movie of his. Mm -hmm. And it was History of Violence. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for Cronenberg, what's your relationship with kind of his movies in general? Is it uh, a kind of strong, long-running thing, or is it quite recent? Or? Um, I would say he's Cronenberg has always been a director that I have always considered like up there in my top favorites, but I never really give him the attention that I think he deserves, which is why I wanted to choose mm-hmm. him to talk about with you. Um, full disclosure, I have not seen every Cronenberg movie, so any film bros who want to come and attack me, like, bring it on, I don't care. <laughs> uh, I have not seen every Cronenberg movie, but the ones I have seen, I think I've seen about nine or ten of his movies, and they've all been, like, perfect five stars for me. Um, I think he is so consistent with his filmmaking, but also what I love about him is... I think he gets he gets this uh he gets painted as you know this body horror director which is fair enough he has done a lot of body horror but he's also done mm-hmm. like crime he's done dramas he's he did um oh god what was it called a dangerous method which is a historical drama about jung and freud like he does not okay. stick to one specific thing even though you can see his influence in most of his movies i really appreciate that he didn't let himself just become the body horror guy even though some people do call him that and that's fair enough but yeah, no, I, I yeah. the first film I saw of his was The Fly, and The Fly to this day pretty much remains my favorite of his. Um, and it gave me a feeling that only few films have given, which is like a very deep, deep, deep sadness and disgust. Um, mm. I'm very much into the idea of body horror and losing, losing the self, um, which he does really well. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go right into it then. We'll start with The Fly. So that was one of the movies uh, that you suggested. And I'll say right off the bat, all of these were a first-time watch for me. As I said, I'd um, I'd seen History of Violence, and I don't know why I'd never seen them. So I was quite kind of similar to um, Extreme Horror, a bit worried about body horror movies. Mm -hmm. Like, it's quite... uh, I wouldn't say it's not palatable for me, but it's just a bit of an unknown for me. Yeah, yeah, Uh yeah. I think this was... Out of the three that I've watched, I felt that this was the most emotional movie, yeah. as you're saying, the inherent sadness in it. The It's a tragedy at, at its heart, it feels like, because it's a, almost like an inevitable tragedy after a certain point. Mm-hmm. After the, the part where, um, I was about to call him David there, but I think <laughs> Jeff Goldblum was called David on Independence Day, um, <laughs> where he's a uh, Seth. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes into the, the teleportation device yes. and the flies in there. From that point on, it is essentially a tragedy and it's the breaking down of a man in physical form. Yeah. Um, how do you feel that Cronenberg does with... Because as you're saying, he comes up, he, he gets referred to a lot as the, the, kinda, the king of body horror, mm-hmm. but it feels like in this movie he gets 
yep, a lot of body horror, but he also gets the emotion and the humanity in it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is to me why the fly is like my favorite because you have the character of Seth, um, and Jeff Goldblum's performance is just outstanding in this movie because he is so sweet. Like he's so there's a real sweetness to him. There's a real vulnerability to him. You know, he when when he first meets Ronnie, like he trusts her. Um, even though she's a journalist, like of course she's going to try and sell his story, but he's so open with her, and he's still even after she kind of, well, I guess you could say betrays him by taking the tape to like her boss. He still invites her for out for cheeseburger. He still he wants to continue with her, um, because he's like a sensitive and gentle person. Um, but he's not perfect. He's he has hubris. He has a flaw. And like you said tragedy is a very real word for this film because it is kind of like a, a Greek tragedy. You know, his fatal flaw is his hubris that he still wants this invention to work and he still wants to take full credit for it and he wants it to be perfect and he gets in like like a rage about Ronnie and like gets drunk and wants to try it out. So it really is his fault what happens to him and that's what makes it so much sadder when you realize that part of Seth is conscious the whole time this is happening to him. Um, like the ending of The Fly really makes me cry every time when the, when the Brundle Fly is like trying to shoot itself that fucks me up Mm -hmm. because just to imagine like having a front row seat to your own your own body body's demise and your humanity as well like he loses everything and yeah it's kind of his fault at the end of the day yeah you mentioned the the brundlefly there um obviously there's a point where seth's in his sort of mid transition from man to fly and he starts calling himself brundlefly and he wants to educate i think he says he wants to educate kids on it and <laughs> how the, like the evolution of himself it's played very comedically i feel like when he's doing these kind of videos and everything it's one of the kind of the, the rare moments of levity in the movie like it's quite a from from the Cronenberg movies I've watched, Levy isn't his main go-to. No, it's not. So for this yeah. is... <laughs> so yeah, I feel like when he does it, he's, you know, his, like, Seth, like, vomiting on the donuts, like, his little face, like, just... Like, even that is <laughs> yeah. kind of funny, because you're like, oh, God, this is so awful. He's... he's Cronenberg has a great sense of humour, um, and some of his movies, like The Brood, for example, I don't... I well, I watched The Brood in a very I was very tired and I probably shouldn't have been watching that film but that I, from what I remember there's like no humor in that and it was a tough watch like it's great but mm-hmm. it's very intense so the humor that does come in with The Fly I think it, I think it really helps and I think it's mm-hmm. maybe part of the reason why it's his quote unquote most beloved movie mm-hmm. even the the points where um, Seth's like he's quite infatuated by his own wall mm-hmm. crawling and like a um, it's almost like a childlike wonder in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes everything really... For sure. Because he's coming through a new stage of what he sees as his own evolution, mm-hmm. he's quite, yeah, childlike in it, and it's it's endearing. It is, and I think I think Jeff Goldblum has a lot to do with that. I mean, I, I don't know many other actors who could convey that sense of um, childlike wonder 
and vulnerability. You know, mm. Jeff Goldblum's got these big brown eyes and he he's very mm. in his body, he's very like he's kind of awkward, like the way he moves. And yeah, like you yeah. said, when when Seth realizes he's in the next stage of his evolution, he's stronger, he's his senses are better, he feels sexier. At that point, he's on top of the world. Like he's loving it. And Jeff Goldblum mm. also portrays that really well because it's it's kind of like when the nerdy guy gets a hot girlfriend. Um it's very that energy <laughs> yeah. and that's what makes it all the sadder again when he does when he meets his end. We've obviously spoke about Cronenberg being the master of body horror. There's so much in this one. That's so much. Out of the, again, out, out of the three, this is probably the kind of epitome of it. Mm-hmm. Um we get the Veronica pregnancy, but more so her nightmare that she has. Where she births a larvae. Yeah. <laughs> which is fucking horrific. Because it makes it seem as if she's just going for a procedure to get, should probably say this. She's been pregnant, but she doesn't know if it's been pre or post yeah. Seth post um, going through the yeah, post fly. Um the maybe not body horror, but the first baboon teleportation, in which yeah, the baboon the, just the turns the into mush that viscera. flicks about. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the finale of the fly, where uh, Seth's fighting back against the kind of a guy who's been a psychotic ex-boyfriend for the whole fucking yeah. movie. He's an <laughs> yeah, absolute that- dickhead. So it's quite funny seeing what happens to him, but at the same time horrific. Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> we had the kind of slight foreshadowing earlier on when he vomits on the donut to eat and then he goes oh that's disgusting yeah. isn't it sorry mm-hmm. but then he realises the kind of power of his acidy vomit and just, just goes to removing town. this guy's limbs yeah and he's loving it yeah this is like one of the most I mean I can I often think of like the thing as well in comparison to the fly it would make such a great double feature for just absolutely batshit uh, practical effects body horror because they just go full mm. on in the last 10 minutes like and I would just I would just love to have been there. Like, um, I wouldn't have loved to be in the cleanup, but I would have loved to be there during the the practical process. It just looks so much fun. All the goo and viscera and gore flying around. <laughs> love it. Well, yeah, as you're saying, it's just all it's it's full on. And you mentioned um, talking about the finale where Seth he clearly has still some sort of um, human sentience. Mm-hmm. And he said because he wants um, Veronica to kill yeah. him. He wants him to die because he's getting pain. And it, because he's had a... Has he meshed with one of the the units? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes back in and then... Because there's three units now. He's made another one maybe or he's using a prototype. Yeah, he, so he... And, no, no, no. He, he Yeah, no. He. So he tries to get Ronnie in one. And then it goes wrong, mm-hmm. and he ends up in one. So he becomes fused with the teleporter, which is, you know, Cronenberg loves this amalgamation of flesh and metal. Like, that is, I feel mm. like, if, if body horror aside, one of the things that Cronenberg does really well is flesh and machinery together. Um, yeah. So, yeah, by the end of it, Brundlefly is, is not only man and fly, but also metal. And I just can't... You can't imagine how painful that is. Like, th- and that's what makes me, gives me this like gut wrenching sadness when I watch the end of the fly. Cause I'm like, my God, there was a human being in there once and now there is nothing, nothing even close. Mm. And for me, that's horror. Like, that's what gets me. If it can give me an existential yeah. crisis about what it means to be a human being, then I'm sold. 
So the second movie we're going to go on to is 1983's Videodrome. Um, is there any way to explain this movie in a synopsis? <laughs> Honestly, probably not. Um, no. This, to me, <laughs> of the Cronenberg movies that I have seen, this is the one where I often go back and I'm like, huh? Um, but I, what I love about Videodrome is, synopsis aside, it's can be it's a hundred thousand metaphors in a movie um to the point where i don't even know if the actual plot really matters because the actual plot itself is pretty much up for debate as well like in terms of how much of it is really happening and how much of it is um hallucination so yeah i don't think uh i don't think being too concrete is necessarily the way forward with this film that's fair enough. I think Videodrome probably has the, certainly from my perspective, the the, the most well-known, possibly iconic scene of Cronenberg's mm-hmm. movies, which is James Woods, before he was a dickhead, right. climbing inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he was maybe still a dickhead in the but 80s, yeah. but he just hadn't let it, let it out yet. Yeah. Um, like, kind of climbing inside the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's very... <clears throat> it doesn't delve into the body horror such as Cronenberg, but it, he's a very visual storyteller in terms of what he wants to portray mm-hmm. on screen. And I think this is his most visual movie in terms of, as you're saying, the plot isn't necessarily um, a huge deal, but the, the 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 images, the scenes, the performances mm-hmm. from everyone that's in the movie is what sells it really yeah something about videodrome too that i think is very interesting is that and you could say this with most of cronenberg's movies but i feel like videodrome is is still completely relevant now if not even more um specifically just thinking like about horror movies and how me being Uh, my personal experience as a horror fan is that i am desensitized to Mm -hmm. everything now um so i have to push and push and push and keep pushing and watching you know i'll never watch real stuff or whatever but um you know i keep pushing for the more extreme horror just to feel something um and that's just a personal thing but even aside from that i think videodrome talks about the experience of like losing yourself entirely to the to the existence of media and mm-hmm. now that's very applicable to the internet. I mean, back when Cronenberg made this movie, it was pro- it was about um, movies and videos and you know television. But now it's the internet. I mean, how many of us have these personas on the internet that, for some of us, are completely absorbing and completely encapsulating? And I think that's why the scene of Max getting, you know, the, the television coming towards him and him being pulled to the television is still so relevant because you could just replace the television with a laptop or like an iphone mm-hmm. although that might be a bit like those obvious like pieces of art which like nobody reads books anymore but um you know what i mean like <laughs> like that's just where we are in yeah. life like we're all complete we're all getting way too much information because we all have phones we're all com- like we're all connected to the internet 24 7 so we're all like overloaded until we lose our sense of personality and become one with the ether and that's why that mm-hmm. image i think is so striking even today yeah there's actually a line in it which I felt was especially uh, prescient in that um, I think it's his cameraman. It says something like, "This country's getting soft." Like 
it was almost like a snowflake right. line. Snowflakes uh-huh. can't do it. We've heard Same that we're sitting in the middle yeah. of a, a heat mm-hmm. wave. Uh, uh, he, the, the cameraman went and he got Brexit done and <laughs> now the snowflakes can't deal with the heat because of Brexit. Um, and like, not to get political. Um, Please do. But it's easy to. <laughs> fuck the Tories. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. But it, it felt like that translating almost 40 years later tells you the state of just, I think generally, politically, the world goes through cycles. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, we never really improve, we never really get worse. Mm-hmm. There's always a just a, well, maybe we've got worse recently, but there's always a through line of general shitness, no matter the party, no matter the um, the the media, no matter the, the culture 100%, at the time. yeah. Mm-hmm. We're always in a middle area, and the fact that that line was so present right now just talks to that quite quite a lot. Like, the, having not seen Videodrome before watching it, uh, obviously, who the fuck are you going to have seen it before you watch it? <laughs> I know you. Having I mean. <laughs> yeah. known about Videodrome before watching mm-hmm. it, I should say, I didn't realise how kind of politically um, and socially conscious it was. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, th- there's this film has everything. It has. You know, there's anti-capitalist themes, there's anti-imperialist themes. Um, my friend Jesse Martinez wrote a wonderful essay for Ghouls magazine about um, the capitalism in Videodrome, which um, maybe you could link if you want to read a little bit more of it. But um, yeah, there's mm-hmm. everything. I mean, there's even like the body horror being a vaginal area, I don't think is any, you know, Cronenberg loves to put a vagina somewhere. He, he loves that. Um, but I don't think that's an accident. You know, I think Cronenberg has a lot to say about, um, uh, reproductive rights. Um, and yeah, this film just says so much again, like I said, the desensitization of the way we consume media, um, thinking like really, really terribly, like, you know, every time we get news about a mass shooting, um, how much time do we have to grieve before the next terrible thing is happening? Like, we just don't. And so this constant barrage of disgusting images is probably giving us brain damage, like maybe not in Mm. an actual brain tumor way, like in Videodrome, but it's definitely not healthy for us to be consuming this. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the fact that he was clocked straight onto that is amazing back then yeah mass shootings things as you're saying um max kills the two guys in the boardroom mm-hmm. fucks off and goes up with someone else yeah. and then goes and kills the the uh, convicts mm-hmm. the, the the boss's name just literally not that much right later. exactly gun and violence it's is, just kind yeah. of past yeah it's so part and of the gun the gun the gun is melded exactly. into his hand, so which speaks a lot about America. Exactly, it's like the gun is so part of Max's life now that he literally becomes violence. He becomes the physical mm-hmm. personification of violence. And, you know, I don't think it takes a scholar to figure out that comment, um, but it's still depressing no. as hell that it's still relevant today. The fact that a movie that was made in 1983 has made these points... Mm-hmm. And we can get political. I mean, I don't give a fuck about um, people switching off if they're right wing. It says a lot for the state, the state of the states, mm-hmm. really. Um, if that's still relevant mm-hmm. forty years later, like it, it, the fact that you even get um, Roland Emmerich has always commented in a much less nuanced mm-hmm. way about the way America imposes itself on the world 
Emmerich has always been quite anti-US and that's why he blows up things like mm-hmm. the White House. He's always been quite a bit, a, quite for that. And it's incredible that, yes, maybe they don't learn through movies, but how have they not learned through just general life? <laughs> it, it's, it's mental. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's and so we, we see it now. I mean, we see it now in the UK through a, a jingoistic attitude towards Europe and immigrants, and but people just they they shrug this off as just ugh, it's just movies. Yeah. Why do you need? Why 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 do you need to um, take something that's nothing but a disgusting horror movie or an over the top? A sci-fi world-ending movie, but because that's because they don't want to envision it as it's meant to be. It's, it's telling them to look at themselves, sure. and they don't fucking Which like it. Which is so strange when you consider the person that James Woods became. Um, and I'm very much like I am not at all like a person who thinks you can't enjoy something because the person in it is a predator or abusive or whatever. I am very much separate the mm-hmm. art from the artist. I always have been like, yeah. I'm never going to sit here and tell you that Roman Polanski didn't make some of the best films ever made. He can die, but his films great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just funny that James Woods has become this, you know, shiller of information, uh, misinformation on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, this staunch yeah. pro Trump Pro, uh, massively right wing, massively pro gun, etc. And he was in Videodrome. And Videodrome is a film by a Canadian guy who, from what we've seen, is pretty far left. Um, so I don't know if James mm-hmm. Woods had a, you know, political change. Maybe something pushed him to the edge. Um, I'm not sure. But something interesting. This sorry, this is a little off topic, but I just wanted to bring it up quickly. No, um, no something interesting I read. Now I only read this on a YouTube comment, so I can't and I haven't didn't find anything to verify it. But apparently. Um, this may not be true at all so apparently the original ending of Videodrome after Max shoots himself it had a flash on the screen that says your turn Um, and apparently that was cut because suicide prevention groups were like not happy about that but um, again it just goes back to that whole thing about us being indistinguishable from the movie Um, you know James Woods does it, so now we have to do it. Um, and I just thought that was yeah. interesting. I couldn't... If anyone knows anything concrete, please let me know. And if I'm being an idiot, also please let me know as well. That would be really interesting because the whole point of Videodrome is he doesn't know what is real, what mm-hmm. is fantasy, what is in his head. And if it then cuts to that, then it's we're sitting saying, well, what he's seen right. was yeah. real, I is suppose. It, is it a call uh, for that's... us to enact violence or is it... A, I don't know, it just... It opens up a lot of questions, but uh, yeah, again, I just thought it was interesting because it it brings us. We are Videodrome, you know. We are the new Flash mm-hmm. as well. Um, we are the new yeah. Flash. Yeah. It also Videodrome <laughs> makes a great double feature with one of my favorite films of all time is Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is a Japanese body horror from. Uh, I, the year is escaping me. It's the nineties. It's by a director called Shinya Sukamoto, and it is one of my favorite films of all time. It's about the amalgamation of like flesh and metal, and it's just great mm. fun. I, I very much recommend it as a double mm-hmm. feature with this one. This, I mean, I think out of the three, this is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, genuinely, like I think just the the, the themes it, it takes on, and it's 
it's a very political film, yeah. um, and it's it's politically left leaning, which I am, and I just it resonated with me a lot more than I expected. Yeah, mm-hmm. from knowing what Videodrome was, and I also like to think that James Woods is just. When he made Videodrome, he was just too stupid yeah, to realise what maybe, was going yeah. on and he just thought he was making a horror movie. It, yeah. And he still, he was a massive dick in 1983. <laughs> like, that's fine. James Woods, can't fuck off. Yeah. And that's a road to nowhere. <laughs> Guaranteed. Love it. <laughs> there we go. So, the last movie we're going to come on to, and I'm, this is one I quite struggled with a wee bit, actually. Um, it's Crash. And Crash is... A, Fairly well-known movie, not as, from what I've heard, the 2004 crash is shit, or 2006 crash I, is yeah, shit. I've never I seen haven't it. seen I it, could not the, tell the you. plot sounds very much like ugh, weird, so I'm not yeah. into that. So usually what I do, and I've only done this twice in the whole time I've been recording these, one was for the happiness of the cat. Katamotos. Katakuris? Oh, I can't even remember the full name. Katakuris. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I didn't know how to um, use three points of yeah. a movie as a jumping off point in that. And I kind of felt the same about Crash. Mm-hmm. Um, Crash is essentially a movie where... Do you know what? I, I think I need to ask you to okay. come in on this again. Like, I really struggle yeah, no, with it. Crash, like... is, Crash is hard work. Crash is, like, not a mm. fun watch. I don't think I would never, you know, sit down no. and watch Crash for fun. But the reason I like Crash is because I think it's a film that picks up on the other topic that Cronenberg does so well, which is subverses, subversive sex. Um, and you see this throughout most, if not all, of Cronenberg's movies, is this man knows his way around gross horniness. Um, you see it in the... V- Every one of these Yeah, three. yeah, yeah, you yeah. see it everywhere. This man <laughs> like- is good at making you feel like, oh, should I be aroused by that? Because I kind of am, but I'm kind of <laughs> disgusted at myself for feeling it. Um, and that's why I love Crash, because that is a place where I think so few directors are brave enough to go. And especially these days, like I feel like things have become very sanitized, especially in horror. Um, I feel like we don't get anything gross anymore. We don't get gross sex on screen. Everyone's like perfect and beautiful. Um if they are banging, mm-hmm. it's great. But most of the time, people don't. There's no sex on screen anymore because people don't like it. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love Crash because not only is it filthy, it's also very. It it tackles things that we don't usually think about. Um, so like the the link between sex and death. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, at the end, James and Catherine. Maybe the next Catherine, one yeah. is what they say to each other. So, is is the next step in their fetish? Is it death? Um, and I, I just love that he has this appreciation of fetish and unconventional sex. And also this film mm. is a great representation of disabled people as sexual beings. And I feel like yeah. a lot of films are also scared to approach that, which is silly because disabled people are just as, you know, sexually active as able-bodied folks. Um, and I think it's really important that he put that in. Um, and... Mm-hmm. More recently, I don't know, have you seen um, Titan by Julia de Corneau? I have. Mm-hmm. Didn't okay. like it, but <laughs> like I, I, can, I can definitely it. see, I can see the similarities, Jeff, uh-huh. like, I wasn't, a, I struggle with a lot of French art mm-hmm. house cinema, I'm not a huge, especially things like um, Gaspar Noé and things like that. Oh, like, hard work, yeah. It's not for me, but I did watch it and I can appreciate what it was doing, mm-hmm. but I just 
didn't like no, it. No, for sure. But no. yeah, there's so much similarities. There's so much there. And I know that Vigo Mortensen Influence as well. was very, he was kind of mad about it. Like he was like, oh, he said something like, oh crap, Titan is like a, trying to be Crash. And David Cronenberg actually came forward and was like, no, like she's, she's influenced obviously. And that's very flattering, but they're two different movies. But I love, <laughs> um, I love, <laughs> I love a car a car sex movie and as far as i know there's really only these two the only one i can think of otherwise is death proof which is kind of like car as phallic symbol but i think they would make like a great yeah. a great three feature um and yeah that's unless, why I, unless that's going to be like um cars four from yeah. Pixar. i don't know <laughs> please not like it <laughs> No. <laughs> Lightning McQueen getting <laughs> just well uh, there's got to be some reasoning behind that why the fuck do those cars have doors right. humans don't exist right. and why do they why there must be some insertion cars? involved Where in that the baby cars come from right. um no but yeah that's why I love I, I love Crash because it it pissed people off and it made people angry and it made people feel sick and mm-hmm. any director who could do that any director who um can get a visceral reaction from me. I'm thinking specifically of that scene where James and Catherine are having sex and she's talking about Vaughn's penis. When I watched that, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, she's just keeping on going. She's just saying whatever comes into her mind. And it's filth. And Mm. I applaud that because not many filmmakers outside of porn, I guess, are willing to go there. Mm -hmm. It's... um David Cronenberg loves a spooning sex scene. He does, he does, yeah. That is his favourite. Like I think in every one of these three yeah, movies, that is the kind of go-to. He loves a spoon, loves a spoon. which <laughs> is so funny because he's also not afraid to show a very graphic vaginal or phallic symbol. Like, But, you know, he's a bit shy with spooning. All three of these movies, actually, um, domestic violence seems to be quite prominent. Mm-hmm. And I think none more so in Crash... Um, specifically with the character of Vaughn. His whole thing, Vaughn is a character who wants to recreate death scenes of famous celebrities um, in the movie. But he seems to be the one that instigates the kind of higher level of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. Like you see it on uh, Catherine's thigh Mm -hmm. after he's had a a kind of sexual encounter with her where she's bruised on the leg and I think she's got a few Mm -hmm. marks on her breasts and her or um, her elbow, and I, I didn't see her neck, but it looked as if there was maybe yeah, something yeah, around yeah, there. there is, yeah. Because he was, he's very, he's very prominent and domineering. Yeah, and it's something that Cronenberg has addressed in a lot, like in The Fly. Um, uh, Seth is quite aggressive towards Veronica at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Maybe yeah, not yeah. sexually, actually, yeah, but but with the, he, he picks up a. A, a girl, a woman in a bar, and he's quite yeah, dominant towards her. Yeah, as he starts her. to change, yeah, the the you know the rougher mm-hmm, parts yeah. of him come out for sure. Yeah, and then in in the in Videodrome, uh, Max's fantasies mm-hmm. or, or visions are striking Nikki. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's quite a, a a prominent part of him, and it's in terms of these movies anyway, and the the movies he's making and. Mm-hmm. He's obviously, um, he's not an advocate of it, but he's no, I, doing yeah. what he does. He's making a statement on it and you've it's almost like putting a mirror up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cronenberg's films have been called misogynistic by a fair amount of feminist film critics um, because, like you said, they are holding a mirror up to the world of domestic violence, but they are showing a very graphic and 
possibly unnecessarily graphic presentation of it. I mean, there's always the argument of like, do you need this scene of a woman getting hurt? Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say that it's wrong to think Cronenberg's work is misogynistic because I do think it could be read as that. I don't think he is misogynistic. Um, but for me, it's it's the same way I feel about Lars von Trier is that I do think a lot of Lars von mm -hmm. Trier's work is misogynistic as well. And as a woman, that puts me in a difficult position because I feel like I shouldn't Oops. enjoy it. But I I do because these things happen and these things mm. exist. And I think if... I don't know. It's hard. I don't want to speak for other people, obviously. Um, but for mm -hmm. me, whether it's misogynistic or not doesn't necessarily impact my enjoyment of the film because I can kind of pass the two. Um Mm -hmm. But yeah, I know, especially. Sorry, carry on. It's dependent on how you feel the misogyny is portrayed. Is is Cronenberg portraying the misogyny mm -hmm. because he feels uh, an affect, not an affection towards it, but a, a, a comfort mm -hmm. towards it, maybe? I think. Or is it done because he's actually trying to portray it as what it is, which is nasty and mm -hmm. uh, violent and. Uh, aggressive and it depends on the the, the, the mirror sure, maybe it gets, yeah. it gets viewed through like we, we were speaking earlier on about um you mentioned about the kind of phallic symbols of death proof mm -hmm. and i remember death proof was getting protests outside because of violence against mm -hmm. women tarantino's a big Protest. one as well yeah mm -hmm. tarantino's very bad for it and i do think there is misogyny in in tarantino movies but death proof for me was actually one of the ones where the misogyny i am talking from a cis white male aspect mm -hmm. here so i know i'm not in the the correct position to talk about it but when i when i heard the the, the kind of criticisms of death proof um about how it's misogynistic I, the way i had viewed it was the other way which was the 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 stuntman mike mm -hmm. had killed people mm -hmm. early on which wasn't the main part of the movie yeah. the main part was the woman who went out to Exact, not exact revenge on him, but he tried to kill yeah. them, and then they just fucked mm -hmm. him up. Yeah, no, for sure. And I know, I, I totally get. I'm not in the the, the complete position to kind of comment on it. No, but you you are that, as, that as a man. Like misogyny affects you as just as much as like in different ways, obviously. Um, but we all exist under misogyny, and we all have to figure out how to deal with it. I mean, for me, Death Proof was a very empowering film. Um, it was. To watch, you know, the first half where the first group of women get very violently killed was difficult. But then the second half, when the girls come back, you know, it's it cycles of violence and the cycle is broken with these women um, taking control and going after him. And I, I liked that they weren't like truly, well, I mean, it's Tarantino, so it's difficult to say, but they weren't like massively sexualized either. I mean, there was the cheerleader girl, obviously, but she gets left behind, but the rest of the girls, mm. um, they're just normal women. You know, they're hanging out in jeans, they're uh, eating together, they're not talking about men half the time, they're just normal women existing. Um, but it's always, <laughs> I don't I don't feel like there's any male director who is like truly free of the conversation of misogyny, but I do know that Cronenberg got a lot of flack for his film The Brood, which um, has a quite uh, like it basically presents a like a monstrous feminine, like a mother birthing like evil things, and it's it it can feel quite gynophobic. Mm -hmm. You know, he presents vaginas as like disgusting things a lot of the time. Um, okay, 
But, and I know when he made The Brood, he was going through a really bad divorce. So maybe that was his outlet. Maybe he did hate women at the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's, yeah. you know, I'm not going to judge a man for what when, what happened in his own head as long as he can come back from that and make art that isn't misogynistic, which I think he has done with Crimes of the Future. I think he's kind of worked through whatever issues he had and Crimes of the Future, the way I read it, is really heavy on bodily autonomy. It's really heavy on reproductive rights, um, women's rights, trans rights, gay rights. And I think he's maybe worked through whatever issues he had with women. <laughs> well, come on to that, actually. We'll have a wee chat about mm-hmm. Crimes of the Future at the end. One of the things with Crash was I felt it was certainly, out of, again, out of these three, as I'm only going on in uh, the history of violence, which I've seen before, um, certainly felt like he's... The reason I wanted to go by this was because it, it felt like his most clinical yeah. film. Mm-hmm. It felt quite cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's very... It's like a it's very, very bleak, cold very movie. Very sterile, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sterile. Yeah. I mean, even the sex it. in it is... is it's, it's Yeah. Matter of fact, it's very... It's there to be yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's... Sex. I mean, it's graphic, but is it erotic? I don't know. Like, no. I don't think it. You know, oh, this, this wow. doesn't feel like there's an. Inti- I know there's no intimacy. Is like the lack of intimacy is kind of the point because it's about sex and violence. But yeah, even the non-violent sex feels a bit like, ooh, yeah, like clinical. Mm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's quite. Um, it, so it's interesting. Like, but the thing that I found with Crash was. It's it's very hard to read any emotion in any of the characters. Mm. There's nothing. Yep. They're all very blank. There's no anger. There's no sadness, yep. mm-hmm. really, apart from maybe um, Catherine. She has a bit of a reaction to her first interaction with Vaughn, and she, that seems to be the only emotional response because she seems quite distressed mm-hmm. by it. But everything else, yeah, it's very... Every character's played the same. Holly Hunter, yeah. she's very matter-of-fact. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she wants to get fucked in a car. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like that's. Um, I mean, I don't know if it was intentional, but the way I read it is like these people only care about the next, you know, pushing their fetish as far as they can. Real, they've become so detached from real life. They don't care about conversing. They don't care about emotion anymore. They don't care about feeling. All they care about is pushing themselves to the limit and potentially death. Yeah, yeah, perfect. No, no, I think you're mm-hmm. spot on with that. All these ones that were going on worried about when Fifty Shades of oh Grey was God, coming yeah. out, and then like <laughs> sixteen years earlier. I know. Well, that's crash. what I'm saying. Like, so it's like <laughs> the kids now are worried about like Euphoria, and I'm like, oh, the kids don't know. The kids don't know about Crash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it certainly was. It was an eye opener. <laughs> Maybe not to the level of what I just said <laughs> earlier on, where um, Zoe made me watch some. It's not Antichrist. <laughs> some fucking yeah, mad it's stuff. not Antichrist. <laughs> no. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, or House that Jack built, or what was the other one? Oh shit! Uh, oh god, um, Nymphomania. Oh, now House of Jack built is a misogynistic <laughs> film. I love it, but that's misogyny yeah. <laughs> right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So um, we touched a wee bit on Crimes of the Future um, and you've seen it, you've been lucky enough to catch it. Um, I've not managed to see it yet. Uh, how, and it's kind of his foray back into body mm-hmm. horror, if you want to call him the king of body horror, this is his way back into it. He's not done mm-hmm. for a, a long time. What was your thoughts on it? So I really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people haven't enjoyed it because in their mind, it 
quote-unquote wasn't body horror enough. And this has made me think really a lot about um, auteur theory recently. Also, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word right. I only know it through reading. Um, but, you know, the, th- the yeah, theory yeah. that directors yeah, are kind of, you know, um, beholden to their own style. And Cronenberg, mm-hmm. I think, is an interesting one for that because I think a lot of people were let down because Crimes of the Future is not like The Fly. It's not like Scanners. It's not like The Brood. It's not explosive grotesque um you know splatter everywhere it's it's subdued it's mellow there is body horror in it but it's it's more subtle um and i read a lot of things like oh this isn't cronenberg enough for me i was like well this is a man who yes he directed the fly but he also directed like eastern promises um and a dangerous Mm -hmm. method which are not body horror at all so we really shouldn't be pigeonholing him in this this you know this place that he went to in the 70s and 80s when he's obviously moved away from that um but that aside i really enjoyed it like i said i think it's kind of like really necessary viewing for the conversation of bodily autonomy and doing whatever the fuck people want to their own bodies because at the end of the day it's your flesh case and if you Mm -hmm. want to decorate and change your flesh prison however you want you've be my fucking guest i do not care um i'm so happy for you (laughs) however you do it um but yeah it was it was quiet. It was softer. Um, Vigo Mortens was really good. Kristen Stewart was a was a treat in it. Um, and I'm not the biggest fan mm. of her, but she was um, a sweaty little weirdo in it, and I loved that. <laughs> that sounds like you've just described my four year old. Possibly, maybe, maybe. I mean, yeah, there um, is a very strange like breakfast chair in it as well. Um, Vigo Mortensen gets strapped to like a feeding chair at some point, so you know it's not off it? children and babies. It's not too far away. So it's, it's weird enough that uh, there is interest in it. It's not like because it did seem as if it looked a bit. So I've only went off trailers and I've seen ears on chests, which yeah. just gives me the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah, and. I know we were talking about um, video room earlier on, um, and the scene. And he always keeps getting things shoved in his big <laughs> chest, Fanny. <laughs> Have you seen the scene of brand new cherry flavour? I haven't seen it yet, but I kind of know. I've listened to enough podcasts that I know what happens in it, um, and I know there's insertion <sighs> Jesus, and objects and and holes where there shouldn't be holes. I, it's like it, It's like there. Uh, Okay. Like, and, and for everyone listening, I'm pointing to like my middle ribs. Mm, okay, okay, can <laughs> like, get on board with that. Yeah, and it's weird. Mm-hmm. And um, it, like, see things like that. It's like, yeah, I can deal with melting hands mm-hmm. and like eyeballs popping out. I can deal with hyper violence because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. It's stupid and not stupid, but it's the wrong word. But um, amusing at least. Yeah. But see, like, like this. Poking the holes oh, yeah. and poking I mean, them in a I, 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 oh, I will say that the, the body horror in Crimes of the Future is probably more realistic's the wrong word, but it's more like you can imagine it happening to yourself. It's it's surgery. More visceral. Yeah, it's subtler, it's surgery, it's um he he also has a, a lot of flesh machinery in it, which I love. I love the design, the set design. You know, there's a lot of mm. you, you'll see it when you watch it, but there's a lot of bed and chairs that look like they're made of skin and bones, um, which I'm very into. Okay. But the splatter mm. isn't there. And also, at one point, I'm not going to say which part, but there's really quite disappointingly there's CGI in it, um, 
which I'm right, okay. which you know I'm not going to judge a director for doing whatever they want but you know Cronenberg is so synonymous with practical effects and they have always worked so well I mean you look at films like The Evil Dead or The Thing they hold up because because they're practical CGI doesn't always work it, it feels synthetic it feels wrong um, so and it's like Del Toro Right. You see Del Toro Monster, you want to see a practical exactly. effect you want to see of Del Toro Monster. A costumed person, a person in makeup and who's mm-hmm. gone through hours of makeup. But yeah, that, that, that disappointed me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would say for anyone who hasn't seen Crimes of the Future, don't expect splatter, don't expect like the fly. It, it's more, it's more like I would guess, I, I haven't seen Eastern Promises. I know kind of like the, the it's a, the, the darker drama side of things, but I go into it expecting more like that rather than Ear Man, who is really not a huge thing in it. It's a bit more kind of subtle yeah, body horror yeah, for than... Yeah, sure. And a, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people actually said they thought it was boring. Um, I didn't, but it, it's very dialogue heavy. Oh, and also, I watched it when I had COVID, which I think really helped because it's a sickly movie. It's, it's sick. Like, it feels, like, ill. <laughs> so if you can get a fever before you watch it, like... Bam, done. Right. So, have you ever seen Game Night? No, I haven't. <laughs> so, you've never seen Game Night? Uh, there's a scene in it with uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdam, and Jason Bateman has been shot through his arm, mm-hmm. but he doesn't realise, he thinks it's fake, and then they find out that he's got an exit wound, Ew. but they've been digging around in his arm to get the bullet Ew. out, and they start making these noises, and I think this is maybe the best way to end discussing Cronenberg. <laughs> Is the while they're doing it, the two of them are dry bulking. Okay. And the two of them are just going and <laughs> 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 just watch this scene and it just goes, That's where that's, <laughs> while they're trying that's to watch the think. That's the Cronenberg yeah, experience. I think they're trying to pull a bullet out. <laughs> yeah. I think that is the, the best way to end discussing David Cronenberg. <laughs> just dry, dry heaving. Dry heaving and hating our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so um so I think we'll call that on Cronenberg. Um before I come to the last part, the sign off, um where can we find you, Amber? Um you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Hornbloodfire. Um through Instagram you can find the link to my podcast or you can find me on Spotify and Apple, whatever, at Hornbloodfire. Um, you can find me on my website, hornbloodfire.com, where you can sign up to my newsletter, which is very exciting, if I do say so myself. Um, you can find me on Ghouls Magazine, on Grimoire of Horror, and you can find me in the upcoming second volume of Hear Us Scream. And I think that's it. Yeah. Excellent. Yep, you should all definitely listen to Hornbloodfire. It's um, top horror content. <laughs> I tried. Um, Girls Magazine I, that's a, uh, I subscribed to the newsletter for that and that's great as well and um, yeah definitely check out what you've got going um, I'll put links and everything in the, the show notes as they say in podcast world <laughs> um, so what I always ask of my guests is a song or a piece of music or a bit of a score from a movie it doesn't need to be from the three we've discussed mm-hmm. today 
to sign us out on? Have you? Uh, this is a really hard question. Um, I went all Sorry. all up and down, all <laughs> over the place, and the, I'm in quite a. Since I came back from LA, I'm in quite a subdued kind of low mood. So I wanted to go for a song from my other favorite, David David Lynch, um, from his seminal film Blue Velvet, and I wanted to go for Roy Orbison's In Dreams, which is sung by the suave motherfucker in Blue Velvet and that's one of my favourite songs it's very sad it's very dreamy it's very lynchy and I think it will make a good outro Amber thanks very much for joining us thank you so much for having me and this is Roy Orbison with In Dreams A candy coloured clown they call the Sandman tiptoes to my room every night and just a sprinkle stardust and a whisper Go to sleep, everything is alright I close my eyes Then I drift away Into the magic night I softly say A silent prayer Like Then I fall asleep to dream my dreams of you. In dreams, I walk with you. In dreams, I talk to you. That you said good.